Okay, so um, I'm excited to be here. And um, Christy, where are you? There you are. Thanks for that zealous word. Amen. That was good. Um, so today I'm talking to you about being prepared. We have, um, my title is, What Do Your Battle Shoes Look Like and Are You Prepared? And this is our tactical retrograde, which I had no clue what that even meant. I had no clue what that was about. And then um, I think Christy, did you explain it to me? No, April did. I think April did. And so it was, what is it? It's you retreat to examine yep, our, our, battle plan. our battle plan, where are we weakest, where do we need to re-examine so that we're gearing back up to get back out there to defeat, right? And so my, my lesson is about being prepared. And my, my concern is our armor. That's, our, that's my concern. If we're in a battle and we're in the army of God and we have armor that we should be utilizing and wearing, I'm talking to you about your shoes. So as we go through uh, the lesson that I'm going to give you, I want you to be thinking about your spiritual shoes. What do they look like? Are they on? Are you running barefoot into the battle? I used to run in with a flip-flop and a high heel. <laughs> I kid you not, that is what my battle shoes looked like. But that is not what we are supposed to have. That is not what it should look like. Ephesians 6.15 tells us what our feet should look like. It says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's a preparation that's involved in having your shoes on properly and having the right shoes on. You have to be prepared. I did not live a life prepared for the gospel at all. Like I said, flip-flops, high heels, running full steam. And so many of us are living like that. That is not how we want to go into battle. If you read in 1 Peter 3.15, Paul says, or Peter says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an account of the hope that is in you, I lived a life unprepared for years, for years. That is not what the Lord wants. That is not how we go into battle, ladies. Now, the, one of my favorite parts about this verse used to be <coughs> those that ask you. And so I'm living my life following Paul's direction to the, or the Thessalonians. Live a quiet life, mind your own business. Great, I'll mind my own business and I'll just wait and see if anybody asks me and nobody, in all of my years of living, not one time, has anybody asked me, tell me about the hope that's in you. Tell me why you're different. So it was like, I'm good, I'm off the hook, right? I don't have to worry about it. Nobody's asking me. But you're not off the hook. Scripture as a whole tells you you are not off the hook. Jesus Christ himself, his very words tell you you are not off the hook. You have to be prepared. And so why is this such a problem for us? 
And I think that part of it is that we know, so many believers know what Christ did for them. They know he saved them from their sin. I am saved, I am set free, I am loved, I am whole, I am restored, and I know that there are people that need it. I have no idea how to tell them. I'm waiting for them to come up and ask me. And I wanna ask you a question. If somebody walked up to you today point blank and said, tell me about the hope that is in you, what would you say? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Do you have something on your tongue ready to give, ready to share? Is it clear? Is it simple? Is it concise? Most of us don't have that. Most of us aren't ready to do that. We're not prepared. We're running in our flip-flop and our high heel at the same time. It's because we don't have the gospel in our heart. We know what he did for us. And I'm gonna pick on Nora, she was supposed to be here. Nora, she knows what Jesus did for her. She knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, and she knows there are so many people around her that need what she has. But she's yet to get to a place where she can articulate it to share it. That's so many of us. Or if we do have the gospel in our heart, we've been in church so long, we start using weird words. Don't we? We do. We're like this. Listen, you have got to get sanctified. And the people are like, what is that? It's the redemptive blood of Jesus. What is that? We do that, though. We're in church so much. We're using this church lingo, this Christian lingo that is foreign to somebody who's never met Jesus. Come get washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we're like, what? That is sick, right? But we do that. We talk like that. We have these conversations with people. Or maybe you're like me. You don't own a Reader's Digest version of any story in your life. That is me. I cannot, I cannot shrink it down. I cannot tone it back. I love all the details. I love all the pieces. I love all the parts, and I want to share it all. That was my struggle. Years ago, we had a lady that worked for us at the greenhouse, and uh, we were closing up the shop, and it was like two and a half hours before we closed, and it was just her and I there working. And as we're sitting there just visiting, the Holy Spirit's like, I want you to share the gospel with her. I want you to tell her about me. And it was like immediately a panic. You know, my heart's pounding, and I'm sitting there like, <gasps> what am I going to say? How am I going to bring this up? How in the world am I going to tell her? that she needs to get saved in a way she understands. And I only have two and a half hours available till we close. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Like, that is the truth. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, Lord, don't let there be any customers. Please don't let there be any customers for two and a half hours because I need all this time to somehow, somehow, I have got to share the gospel with her in a way that she's going to understand and know that she needs you. And so he, he honored that we didn't have a single customer, but it took me the whole two and a half hours to present the gospel. How terrible is that? There are times the Lord will give us that opportunity, but see, he told me to do something and I was not prepared for it. And so it was like, you know, this is kind of bizarre, choppy over here, kind of over there. And oh, well, there's the Adam and Eve business. And oh, and then there's, the, well, then Noah's Ark and, 
You know, I'm not kidding, it was terrible. And as I'm sharing with her, I'm like in my heart, I have this kind of panic of when I finally get it all out, how am I going to bring her to a point of decision? Like, how am I going to like poke at her and be like, what are you going to do about it? Like, you need this. But I didn't have to worry about it. It's almost like my obedience, the Lord took care of that. Because by the time I finally got the whole thing out in a way that made sense, she beat me to it. And she said, I need that. How do I get it? And then I was like, uh, we got to pray. And I don't know. I mean, it was the worst, the worst unfolding you've ever seen. But it was the Lord's at work, right? He's at work. But one thing that it showed me is that I was very, very unprepared. I did not have what's called gospel fluency. I was not fluent in the gospel message in a way that I could communicate it very clearly, very quickly, and concisely to somebody who could grab a hold of it, understand it, and make a decision. So what is gospel fluency and how do we get it? Because I want you to think about this. Because this is all about what do your battle shoes look like and are you prepared? So if we look at the word um, fluent from the Webster's Dictionary, it comes from a Latin word that means to flow. So I want you to start picturing this in your mind. Capable of flowing, liquid, capable of moving with ease and grace, capable of using a language easily and accurately, effortlessly smooth and flowing, having or showing mastery of a subject or skill. That is not what my conversation with that lady looked like. It was not smooth. It was not effortless. In fact, it was all over the place. You would have thought I didn't even know what the gospel was. And I think that I didn't really know, in a nutshell, to be able to share it. And so it bothered me. I didn't really do anything about it at the time. But it bothered me a little bit. I thought, Lord, don't you dare ever ask me to do that again. Make sure Mike is around, because I'll call him over. He'll deal with it for me. Because, listen, I'm married to a man who is gospel fluent. So it's always on his mouth. It's always in his mind. It's always on his heart. It's always in his conversation. It's like I'm surrounded by it. I'd have been like, hey. But I want to read a verse to you that's very important. And it's one I want you to start thinking about. And this is, in, this is involved in the idea of being prepared, okay? It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 2. And I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified because sometimes the Amplified just brings a bigger punch to give you a better understanding. And so here's what he says. It, and it's, this is a charge to Timothy as an evangelist but because it is God's word, it is for us. We are not exempt from this. This is for us. Here's what he says. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ, Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. So he's saying, listen, this is a big deal. This is a solemn charge. This is a serious matter. Christ is returning, and when he comes back, he is coming with his kingdom, and he is coming to judge the living and the dead. It's a serious matter. So because of this, preach the word as an official messenger. That's everybody here. We are all an official messenger. If you are born again, you are an official messenger. The moment you got saved, it was official. Now, he says, be ready when the time is right. 
and even when it is not. <laughs> Keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcomed or unwelcomed. He covers it all. You've got to be ready at all times. Who cares if it's convenient? I struggle with that convenient idea. Lord, I just like to do it when it's working for me. I only like to be prepared when it's convenient and comfortable for me. But see, the Apostle Paul is charging Timothy to do something he's already doing. He didn't ask him to do something he wasn't doing. The Apostle Paul preached the gospel on a sinking ship in the middle of the night, in the middle of a raging storm. There is nothing convenient about that, right? Am I right? And we're like this, eh, it's cold out. I don't really want to get out there in the cold. I got my grocery shopping to do. I definitely don't want to stop and talk to that lady you told me to. It's a real struggle. I get it. But if you start meditating on the idea of what he's saying here, when the time is right, when it is not right, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, when it seems welcome, when it seems unwelcome, be prepared. Get your shoes on. Lace them up. Some of us have our shoes on, but they're not laced up. You got the right shoes on. This is what he's telling us. This is a big deal. The issues that Christy's talking about, that we need to stand up in truth, these people need Jesus. They need Jesus. We carry that fire in us. We carry that light in us. It is so important for us to have our battle shoes on. This is how we defeat the enemy, ladies. It is through the truth of the gospel of God's word that people are set free. We have to grab a hold of that. We have to understand that. So in that idea of gospel fluency that I didn't have in my initial conversation, I want you to think about what fluency looks like in a language. And I'm going to assume, I think it's safe to assume, everybody in here is fluent in English. <laughs> safe assumption, right? What's it look like when somebody is not fluent? Well, we've all seen that. But here, when we were kids, I was 10, we went to Mexico as a family, and we went with Mike and Karen Ross family. We drove a van down into central Mexico. None of us spoke Spanish. I think our parents learned a couple phrases, like where's the bathroom, and my name is, and things like that. And we had a little um, Spanish-English dictionary. So anytime we needed to talk to somebody, it was like, Find that word in the book. Share that word. Find the next word in the book. Share that word. It was very awkward and terrible, but I'm pretty sure there was times that, that um, our dads would add L or La to the beginning or end of words, so they sound, sound Spanish. They're like this, you know, our Elvano needs la gasolina. Donde esta el gastacino? And you know, there the people are like, what? But to make it worse, Mike, who has a deaf daughter, he would, maybe he was the one talking, he would say it, and they're staring at him. He would repeat it. Slower and louder with sign language. Right? 
and it didn't help. It didn't help at all. But see, that's sometimes what we sound like when we're trying to share the gospel. And we're like this. I shared the gospel. They didn't, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Did you share something they understood? Did you speak in a language that they understand? Or was it foreign? You see what I'm saying here? We do this all the time. If you want to become fluent in a language, any language, they tell you immerse yourself into the culture, right? Move to a country that speaks that language. Listen to the radio or TV only in that language. Practice speaking that language. And before you know it, something shifts. You begin thinking in that language. You begin speaking in that language, dreaming in that language. It becomes natural. It becomes flowing out of you easily. You've mastered it. You aren't even thinking about it. It just starts coming out. We need to have that when it comes to the gospel. We need to have a gospel fluency where it's just flowing. It's just rolling off our tongue. We're just effortless. But most of us don't have that. And I'm owning it because that is my life story up until recently. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I lived that. And I didn't like anybody telling me about going to share the gospel because I wasn't fluent in it. I wasn't comfortable. Just like I would not be comfortable trying to have a conversation in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. I speak English. That's it. That's my skill level for languages. And it's okay. But with the gospel, you need to have that. It needs to be a part of who you are. It needs to be part of your armor. Now, I want to um, give you a real-life example. When Micah was younger, they had some friends from Israel come to live with them. And they had um, a bunch of kids, and the youngest ones were five and seven. When they came, they only spoke Hebrew. In a very short time, they were fluent in English, but they forgot Hebrew. They couldn't understand it, and they couldn't speak it in a very short amount of time. Now, when they went back, the reverse happened. They became fluent again in Hebrew, and they forgot the English. Some of you here have been fluent in the gospel at some point, and maybe you're out of practice. Maybe you haven't been using it. And so you're losing that fluency. Just start practicing it again. Start using it again. If we don't use it, we lose it. I took Spanish in school, and I'm proud to say I don't remember it. <laughs> I didn't use it, right? There are so many times that we do that, that we have these spiritual things. You know, we have spiritual disciplines that we kind of get into, and then we kind of get away from, and then we start losing those pieces, those parts. God doesn't want us to be like that. There's tools available for you to learn how to share the gospel. There's many of them. We have the Romans Road. You have um, the Four Spiritual Laws. You have the Two-Question Test, which I learned when I was a kid. You have Three Circles. You have the Gospel Acronym. You have the Right Comfort Approach. There are many, 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 many tools available. But if you don't have the gospel in your heart, you will be frustrated 
using those tools. It will feel awkward, it will feel uncomfortable, it will feel choppy, and you'll be like, this is like too hard. I don't know how to transition from here to here. Well, that's because you're just not fluent. You gotta get fluent. You can get fluent. Years ago, we did an outreach at the um, ribs burn off, and I was terrified. Like, oh my gosh, we gotta go talk to strangers and we gotta share the gospel and I can't do that because I'm not prepared. And of course, I'm married to a man who is all about it. And He's like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to get prepared. You're going to get ready. I am? What am I going to do? You're going to memorize the Romans Road. I am? Okay. So I did. I started memorizing the Romans Road. And it was every day for a week. Every day for a week, we sat and practiced. We practiced. We practiced. We practiced. I practiced to him. He practiced back to me. Abby, you're missing these critical parts. I am? And all the while... The verse, always be prepared to give an account for the hope that is in you. Abby, you're not prepared. Get prepared. And so we went, went to the ribs burn-off. I share, I do the Romans Road. You know, I had been practicing how I'm going to find it in my little pocket Bible. And it was choppy because I wasn't fluent yet. It was awkward. And the girl got saved. And I was like, what? And listen, praise the Lord, she's still serving the Lord today. She goes to church with Micah's aunt and uncle, and she's in Bible study with them. It was, I couldn't believe it, but it was choppy, and it was awkward, and I felt like I don't want to do that again. I didn't like it. Just like when you start using a new language, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's choppy. That's okay. You get better at it, right? You get better by practice. So... I want to share, first of all, um, how you get to be fluent in the gospel. Obviously, when we talk about foreign language, I, I told you about immersion. You have to immerse yourself in the message of the gospel. You have got to recite it to yourself. Tell yourself what is the message of the gospel. Recite it to people who will recite it back to you. Be in community with people who are talking about it, who are walking in it. Memorize scriptures about it. Meditate on it. And before you know, all of a sudden, you start having this unfolding in your heart. You begin seeing everywhere you go, oh my goodness, there's lost people. Oh my goodness, I wonder if they're going to heaven. All of a sudden, your conversations naturally begin to turn towards the gospel. They naturally, it begins to flow out of you. It's not because you're at home psyching yourself up before you go see a single human being on the planet in case the Lord tells you to share. It's natural. You start sharing with neighbors, with friends, with family, with strangers. It just flows. And I'm telling you that from experience. I didn't have that. But I have that now. But it's taken work, work on my part. It's taken effort on my part. Just like learning any foreign language takes time, it takes effort, it takes immersion, it takes work. The same is true to become gospel fluent. You have to do something. And sometimes we don't like that. It's sometimes, ah, that's not my thing. We got the others who are. I got other things I'm working on. Lord's still changing me. You got saved. You became an official messenger. Bottom line. 
No way around it. Whether you like it or not, I didn't like it. But now I'm so grateful that I've learned that. So what is the gospel in a nutshell? In a nutshell, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. This is the gospel. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. Christ died, he was buried, he was raised. That is the gospel. We want to add 30 million other things to it. That's the gospel. He died, he was buried, and he was raised to life again. That is why we have salvation. That is why we are set free. That's it. How do you bring that to a conversation? Ladies, brokenness is all around us. It's in our neighbors. It's in our, it's in our families. It's in our schools. It's in our friends our kids' friends, it's everywhere. It's all over social media. If you know a living soul, you know somebody in brokenness. And most people, they love to talk about it, right? They like to talk about their troubles. They like to talk about their problems. They like to talk about their woes. That is an opportunity waiting. It, it's like this. They've opened the door. Are you prepared? And again, for the longest time, I wasn't. For the longest time, I wasn't. And, you know, when I share the gospel with people, it's the same gospel message, but I may, um, the conversation may look slightly different from time to time, depending on who I'm talking to. And, I mean, those of you who do share the gospel on a regular basis, you know that that's true. It's not that you're changing the gospel, it's just how the conversation unfolds. I mean, a lot of times when I'm sharing the gospel, I use pieces of the Romans road while I'm drawing the circles, and a little bit of Ray Comfort comes in there sometimes. <laughs> so it's because it's not a script. I'm having a conversation about salvation, what Jesus did, how he wants to change somebody's life. And so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of give you a, a short picture of what it looks like sometimes when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, how you can summarize it in a nutshell. It looks like this. God created the world to be a beautiful place, pure and full of love, and he designed us to be in perfect relationship with him. But we sinned, and that sin has caused a separation between us and God. It prevents us from knowing him, and it prevents us from having relationship with him. Sin separates us. We can know about him, but that's as far as we can get. And so that sin that we all have, it generates this brokenness around us and this hurt and suffering and pain. And we all experience it because we all have sin. And we do things to escape the brokenness that we feel because of sin. Some people, they turn to relationships. They want to find the significance from somebody else to fill them. Some people, they're turning to money and things, so they think that will satisfy them. If I have enough stuff, I'll be satisfied. Some people, it might be to drown out with drugs and alcohol or entertainment. I don't want to even deal with the pain in my life and the suffering that I have. And those things, they leave us empty. 
They leave us empty, longing for more, because they cannot do anything about the sin that we have in our life. They cannot remove that sin. But God loved us so much that he did something. He demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus, his son. Jesus came to the earth and he lived as a man, also God, perfect, sinless, never, ever, ever going against the Father. He showed us what it looks like to walk in relationship with God, perfect. But that's not it. See, Jesus, when he came, his plan was to die on the cross to pay for our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That means if you've sinned, you've earned a payment. That's what a wage is. The payment you've earned is death, eternal separation and death. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid that. He paid that debt. You broke God's law, there's a penalty. It's the death penalty. But that's not all he did. See, Jesus rose again three days later, and he's alive today. He's still alive. And when he rose from the dead, it proved that he was God. It proved that he is Lord over everything. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He is Lord. And he has this invitation that he puts out to everyone. And he says, come, I have forgiveness available. I've paid your debt. I've paid your fine. But see, we have to choose something. We got to choose. It's free. We can't earn it. And we got to choose. What are we going to do? I have to choose to turn, turning away from sin. And I'm going to turn to Jesus. That's what repentance is. I'm turning. Before, I was rejecting God, going my own way, doing my own thing. But now I'm going to turn to him. If you turn and believe, you also have to believe. You got to put your faith and your trust in what Jesus did. That it was enough that he paid the price. And when you do that, he says, follow me. Make me the king. Make me the boss. Make me the Lord of your life. If you choose to do that, the Bible says immediately you are restored into relationship with God. Immediately you can begin fulfilling the purpose that he has for your life. So the question that I have for you is, where are you? Are you still rejecting God? Are you still in your own sin? Are you still going your own way trying to fill that emptiness in your life? Or have you surrendered? Have you turned away from your sin, repented, and put your trust in Jesus and you're following him? Because the Bible says that if you die while in your sin, separated from God, you will spend eternity separated from him in hell. That's that sin problem. But if you die while having come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will continue that relationship with him into eternity. So where are you? Because there's only one or two places that you can be. That's a simple gospel message. How do you bring that into a conversation? I promise you, it's not that hard. The more you do it, the more often you begin to share, the more you will see there's opportunity everywhere. And it begins welling up in you, where it's this burning desire, the urgency that Paul talked about. I was talking to um, a lady um, who had a lot of problems in her life. She had made a lot of bad decisions. There was a lot of consequences because of the decisions that she had made. And as I'm talking to her, she's telling me, I need somebody 
Just help me, you know, make better decisions. Pause. This is opportunity. I could pray for her. I could offer advice. I could help her problem solve. Those aren't bad things. Or option two, I could introduce her to her creator. I could give her opportunity to find out what her purpose is in life and let him lead her in all truth and righteousness by the Holy Spirit. Option two is way better. Right? I gave her option two. She chose to follow Jesus. I was visiting a friend the other day that I know is not saved. At the time, she wasn't saved. And I've been praying for her. The Lord told me, pray for her. Okay, great. She's on my radar now. So I'm praying for her, and every time I see her, I'm asking the Lord, is today the day? Is today the day that I'm going to share? Is today the day you're going to give me opportunity? Because I'm praying. I already know the Lord's working. She starts talking about panic attacks. She has these really bad panic attacks that are kind of new. So I ask her what she's doing about them, how you overcoming them. And I'm intentional because I want to see if I can direct this to the Lord. So I'm, what are you doing about those? How are you overcoming them? She's got a long list of things that she's doing. And on top of that, her mother-in-law told her, you just got to give it to the Lord. You got to pray. You know, when you have burdens that are too big, you just pray and you give it to him. He'll take them for you. And I thought, oh, great. I said, are you doing that? She's like, I am all the time, but it's almost like there's like a broken communication. Pause. Opportunity, right? Are you seeing this? Now, I could have prayed for her. I could have offered suggestions maybe of what I've heard people try with panic attacks. I could have also shared verses with her about, you know, lead me to the rock that is higher than I cast your cares upon the Lord. He cares. I could have done all of those things, but why not introduce her to the Prince of Peace? Is that a better option? It is. The opportunities are everywhere. They're everywhere. And you, when you start becoming fluent in the gospel, all of a sudden, you're just like, it's exploding. It's exploding. Strangers don't seem scary anymore. They don't. We had a kid come to youth group a couple weeks ago for the first time, and I'm visiting with him afterwards. You know, how's it going? How's life? I think I might want prayer. I'm not sure. My grandpa died. He died three years ago, and I'm dealing with grief. And he's confused by it. I'm like, okay, we can pray for you. I'm listening. And we got this ghost. My grandpa's ghost comes and bothers us on a regular basis. Pause. Opportunity. How is it an opportunity? This is a young man who is thinking about eternity. He is thinking on spiritual matters. How in the world am I going to direct that around to salvation? The truth. I could have prayed for him. I could have told him about grief share. I could have shared comforting words with him. Or I can share truth about eternity so that he knows and he can choose. So I was like, oh, well, listen, let's talk about the, the ghosts. They're not ghosts. They're demons. The Bible's clear. It is ghosts. Ghosts are either angels or demons. And listen, if you think your grandpa's visiting you, he is not. Not even kind of. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. It is appointed for a man once to die and then to judgment. I said, so when we die, 
We're coming before the Lord. And he's going to say, heaven or hell. I said, do you know how God determines where we spend eternity? He's like, no. Oh, well, let me tell you. He did not get saved, but through the conversation, he's doing this. I'm hearing things I've never heard before. There was something stirring in him. It was opportunity right there. And I promise you, the more you begin to engage in gospel um, immersion, the more you will begin to see these opportunities everywhere around you. And the more the urgency begins to rise up and the more the fear begins to dissipate. You don't care anymore. You just want to see people know Jesus. You want to see them be set free. And so a couple things as I'm closing. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional to become gospel fluent. You have to be intentional. You will not wake up tomorrow and be gospel fluent because I shared a message about gospel fluency. It doesn't work that way, right? You will not be fluent because you went to a seminar three years ago and learned how to share the circles that day. That does not make you fluent. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. You don't become fluent by watching a video. You have to be intentional. You have to put the time in. You have to begin building a community that's doing this. That community is a community of practice, right? Intentional and practice. If you're not practicing it, just like those kids losing that Hebrew language, if you're not practicing it, you will lose it. And you'll be caught off guard. And you'll be like, oh. And the other thing is you gotta be in prayer. Those are the things that are gonna help start building that gospel fluency. Prayer is so critical to it. So critical. One thing you do not have to have, and please let this be a relief for all of you, this is what you do not have to have. All the answers. You do not have to have all the answers. If you believe that you have to have all the answers before you can begin sharing the gospel on a regular basis, then there's a good chance you're relying on your ability, not the power of the gospel, right? Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power. The gospel is the power. That's it. If it was about how awesome our words were, that lady that I spent two and a half hours talking to would not have gotten saved. If it was about having all the right answers and being so eloquent and so amazing, that girl at the Red Bronx would not have gotten saved. The gospel, the simple gospel message, that's it, ladies. That's the power. you got to trust where the power is at. you got to trust that he's faithful to it. One last thing I just want to share with you as I wrap up. My, um, on Micah's side, I have two nieces who um, at the time they were um, just hanging out, playing together, the cousins. They were 11 and 7 at the time. And as they're playing, the 11-year-old, she says to the 7-year-old, hey, what's your favorite Bible story? And the 7-year-old's like, I don't know any. I don't have one. Now, this is an opportunity, right? 
And so the 11 year old, she could have shared like Daniel and the Lion's Den, what an awesome story, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Jesus feeding the 5,000. I mean, there's so many amazing stories, but instead she chose the greatest story. And she shared the story of Jesus and salvation with her cousin because she had an urgency in her heart. She's 11. My cousin's gonna go to hell because she doesn't know Jesus. So she shares, they pray together. The seven-year-old wants to get saved. The 11-year-old has not lived long enough to have all the answers of life or the Bible. How did she do that? How could she do it all by herself? Why did she not need her mom to come and do it for her? Because she's gospel fluent. She is in a home that it is constantly being talked about. It is community of her church, of her Sunday school, of her co-op. The gospel is constantly being discussed. It's being practiced. They memorize, they meditate, they go, they do. It's an immersion. So for her, it was very natural. For her, there was an urgency. It flowed out of her very easily. And she's 11. We can have that. We need that, ladies. We need that. That's who we should be. That's the message. That's the message of hope. That's the message of salvation. So three things I want to leave you with as you're thinking about what your battle shoes look like. And it kind of tied into some of the other lessons that we talked about, that we, that we had earlier. Um, number one, you need to be willing to share the gospel. That's where it starts. You've got to be willing. Just like Nicole was kind of talking about, and even April was kind of talking about that surrender. You've got to be surrendered to the mission of Jesus Christ before you'll ever become gospel fluent. So are you willing? And the thing is, there's something that you have to do, but he does so much more. So much more. You've got to trust that. The other thing is, um, you need to be fluent in the gospel. To be prepared, to have your shoes on, the right shoes laced up, you've got to be prepared. And what's it going to take for you to get there? You need to build a community of fluency. Maybe you are fluent in the gospel. Who do you know that you can help along? And ladies, if I could just challenge you, our homes should be a community of gospel fluency. It is a grievous thing that a lot of our young people cannot share the gospel on their own. They do not know a concise gospel anything. They know that Jesus died on the cross. They do not know how to share it. It should not be that way. This should start in the home. Build a community in your home of practice, of reciting, of meditating, of sharing. Take your kids with you. Do it in the open, like Christy was saying. Let them see you stand up for truth. Let them see you share the gospel. Let them see you love a family member, a neighbor, a stranger. Let it start at home. And the third thing is, you need to trust God. You need to trust him in spite of your weakness. That's when he loves to move, right? That's when he loves to move. If you feel inadequate, great. Just make sure you're prepared and then put your trust in him and the power of the gospel.
That's what he wants to do. He wants to move. This is his mission. This is his plan. This is where we need to be. We got to have our shoes on, the right ones, laced up and ready to go. So that's all I have. I just kind of want to pray to close us out, if that's okay. Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for uh, the changes that you've brought in my own life. Thank you for how you've transformed me through even this work that I'm talking about today. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would begin to stir and awaken a desire in our hearts to be fluent in your gospel, that it would be something that we begin to meditate on, that it just begins to wash over us, that it becomes a natural, flowing, easy thing for us, that we don't even think about it. It's just rolling off our tongue out of love and urgency for the lost. I just ask, Lord, that you just stir that fire in our hearts for truth. Lord, it is for truth and love that we would share. Thank you for our time together. I just ask that you would bless us all as we wrap up and head back into our week, Lord, that we would just be considering all of these areas that you've spoken to us, Lord. They're all unique and individual, but they're all tied together. And I just ask that you just would continue the work as we walk out of this building, that it doesn't end here. In Jesus' name, amen.